Welcome to House Call with Dr. Mack, where you get a real doc with straight talk for the whole year. This is our last episode in this season. And as I said last week, we have had an exciting time to see where we've been able to go. We've been on several different continents, in various countries, cities, and states around the United States. We want to hear from you. You can reach us at realdoc74 at gmail.com. That's R-E-A-L-D-O-C-7-4 at gmail.com. You can hit see us on our Facebook page at House Call with Dr. Mac, the community page. You can follow us on Twitter at RealDoc74. We would love to hear from you. Hear where you are. What has impacted you? What didn't you really like? Please let us know what we can do for you. We're going to finish up our second half of the conversation we started with Eric Engelking. We want to wish you all a very happy and safe holiday season. We're going to take a break for the month of December and come back in January with some new shows, new guests, and having lots of fun. So let's get started. Let's have some conversations. Let's connect these dots. Let's get some straight talk. Very um, cordial roommates. You know, we would get up, we would make sure that at the time we had one child, so our son made sure he was off to school, we made sure everything was together. The ho- you know, there was just the motions, the just going through the day. And I didn't realize that I had actually shut down from him, mm-hmm. that I had closed him off because I had this, this, um, I, I had something I was emulating. All my life, you know, my parents had this marriage. I was looking for, you know, oh, okay, now I'm married. Now my mother's a widow. Oh, now what do I do? What what happens now? And so going through this process, I was able to pick up a tool. And that's one thing that I really enjoyed mm-hmm. when I would come here. You would help me navigate down these roads where I would have my own aha. Yes, right. That how, was you. How, how that does was, that happen? That was you being open to your own experience. Hmm. See, our our psychological health is very different from our biological health. In that, biologically, if something brings pain, it's almost always a good idea to move away from it. The fire burns you; you move away. Something cuts you; you move away from the sharp hmm. edge. So, biologically avoidance is a survival protocol psychologically it's not the same way we have painful emotions and primarily anger fear sadness and shame no one looks to have these feelings no one seeks these feelings out when they come we want to move away from them 
It's a natural reaction. It's counterintuitive mm-hmm. not to move away from that. So when coming to or being involved in a group where we're going to those emotions, that's where the healing starts to begin. Is because the, the emotions themselves have a direction that will point you toward. Hmm. So take sadness. Sad, if you feel sadness and you don't run away from the sadness or you don't have a negative feeling about the sadness but you see it and understand it even though it's uncomfortable that it's important to feel to see where it takes you so if you have sadness you're more than like because there's an adaptive action that will come out of sadness if you don't abort it if you don't inhibit it and the adaptive uh, action that comes out of that is to seek contact Huh? is to make connection with another human being. Really? Yeah. So if you stay in an emotion, if you stay in an emotion, I don't mean being overwhelmed by it, but being able to embrace it, not fight it, but embrace it, it will lead you into the direction that you need to go. There is he- The feeling of a painful emotion is the beginning of healing. How does that look to someone? If you say, if you embrace it, if you stay with it, what what would that look like? What what, what would yeah? If I would it look like to stay with that, yes. If I is to is to notice all the things you do to avoid it and don't do those things, whether it be eat, work, mm. have sex, watch television. I mean, most of our culture is is attempting to avoid itself, from my perspective anyway. <laughs> Yes. So if we see ourselves getting angry or sad or some, and we go to our our addiction, could be it could end up in. I mean, addiction. or our addictive uh, go to what makes us feel better, so that we don't have to really figure out what's going on with me. Right. You're saying now that it will actually it, it will lead, lead us. it will lead into a direction where we will heal. Hmm. So it's primarily anger. Which is, which is an ang- which is an an emotion that is used more often than not as a defense against one of the other three painful emotions. Okay, because if you feel angry, think for a second. You feel I feel anyway. When I get angry, I feel strong. Yeah. I feel powerful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. I feel yeah. energized. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, that that pretty much can overshadow feeling sad or feeling shame or feeling fear. Yeah. Uh, so very often, anger will be developed as a defense. It's not necessarily a true emotion to the situation. But when it is a true emotion, it usually has to do with setting some sort of a boundary or a limit of some kind. Okay? Mm-hmm. Something has been intruded upon you, whether it be physically or psychologically. Mm-hmm. If I start telling you what to do, pushing you around verbally, I mean, there are all kinds of ways to bully. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. I can bully you emotionally. Mm-hmm. And you feel anger back at that. That's the beginning, really, of, of a self-affirmation. So you, you start standing up for yourself. Okay? You start setting mm-hmm. limits. That's what that energy is for. But if you push it down and keep pushing it down, then you, you get enough energy at some point to fight a saber-toothed tiger, and there aren't any. Right, <laughs> right. So right. it becomes maladaptive. It becomes maladaptive. The thing about... Uh, emotions is that they're they're very contagious they're very contagious hmm. 
so that if you're feeling sad, if I haven't inhibited my ability to feel sad, I will feel sadness. And the reason why that happens, that's called empathy. Mm-hmm. And what research mm-hmm. is showing now and in the neuroscience, which is really exciting, is that the foundation of empathy is biological. We have, we have, we have um, cells in the front part of our brain called mirroring neurons whose job it is is to sense what the other person is feeling and actually generate the same emotion internally so that we create an internal map of another's emotional state. But if I inhibit my own emotions, then I won't be able to generate that internal map of your emotional state. That's pretty cool. That is no, it's, deep. Really, it's, 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 it's really It's really cool. I used to think, at least, that in order for me to have empathy for you, mm-hmm. I had to have had some kind of a similar experience yes, in my life. Yes, that is going to no. be the general no. consensus. Now, if my if my mirroring neurons are accurate and I'm attuned to them, I will ha- I will feel what you feel, okay, and hopefully be able to distinguish that those are your feelings and not my feelings, because mm. sometimes that. Yes. Does not sometimes that can be confusing. Now you've transitioned to a great a great topic that I want us to start t- touching on. You said that this is actually biological. Empathy. Empathy is yes. biological. That it starts in the brain. There is some chemistry. There are cells. There is right. anatomy. There are structures. Yes. I want us to start talking about how, when looking at some of the mental illnesses that have come out lately in the news, you know, recently, about a month ago, Robin Williams took his own life due to depression. Mm-hmm. We, that started a big conversation. Mm-hmm. There seems to be some division, big divisions in camps as to whether when you suffer from either depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, there is the camp that says you just don't have enough faith you need a more, you need a stronger spiritual foundation, mm-hmm. and then there's a camp that's saying, "Wait a minute, there is some neuro neurology, there's some biochemistry, there's some, there are structures and physiology that are involved." What are your What are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, most of my religious knowledge has to do with with the Christian community. And then, obviously, in the Christian community, you know, Christ is the mm-hmm. focal point. Yeah. And when you see Christ, fo- when you see Christ facing death, hmm. he's not happy. No, he's not. He's up all night. He's sweating. That is so blood. He's upset because his disciples are not with him. They fall asleep and they leave him, and he's alone and isolated. You you see someone in distress. Yes, you do. He's 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 in a high state of distress, okay. And and when he's dying, he feels totally abandoned. And I've heard people reluctant to acknowledge those states in themselves because they thought it showed a lack of faith. They show feel like it shows a lack of faith. Exactly. And now Christ didn't end up there. He expressed mm-hmm, courage. Mm-hmm. He expressed courage. Okay, but it wasn't certainty. 
It was courage. It was courage. And he experienced the depth of the despair and the loneliness and the fear and then expressed it. He didn't use the expression of it to bypass those emotions. And, and many spiritual people use their spiritual practices to bypass the painful emotions. And that's really, in my opinion, a misuse of that. Yes. If, you, if you stay with an experience, you may get there. But if you use your faith or anything else to bypass your emotional state, you are short-circuiting yourself. I feel that, in my experience, I believe that that sentiment was thrust upon me. Now I'm starting to bring some things together. Mm -hmm. So when Daddy died, there's this sentiment that kept being resounded in my ear God knows best. God knows what he's doing. But it seemed like nobody acknowledged the depth of my pain and allowed me to be there and just be in it mm -hmm. so that I could then start that journey and be in the pain, right. be in the sadness, be in the anger because I was angry. It's like, well, that's my dad. That's my grandmother. Why? And going through my journey, I've been able to put tools in my in my toolbox mm -hmm. and understand um, better by and by, as they say. Mm -hmm. But I believe that the spiritual community that I was tuning into did not give me that didn't give me that landscape to really settle in, and and they they tried to to push the spiritual side so that I would not be able to navigate through on my own. So what do you think motivated them to respond in that way? I believe it was people's own discomfort with death. Okay. And I felt that a lot of people were, and it, it was probably my own projection, were looking at me going, I'm glad it wasn't us. Oh, glad it wasn't us. Because I believe that was the first time that our community saw our family so raw with emotion. And to have it in 10 months of each other was another big like, oh my goodness, really? Again? And you kind of got this, whew, oh God, it wasn't us. So what you're describing there, even the way that you're holding yourself and moving yeah. would suggest to me fear. Yes. So whatever, what the pain they saw in you and in your family frightened them. Mm. And then instead of being with you right, in right. the fear, right. their own inability to tolerate the fear, they started offering you ways away from the fear. Yes. Yeah. But it was fear. So well. It was fear. I had a close friend that when my, when my father died, I didn't see him for six weeks. He lived in the same house as I did. He just dropped off the face of the earth because his father had committed suicide and it brought up the feelings of his father's death and he, he just fled. Yeah. Most people won't see avoidant behavior as being driven by primarily fear because it's not felt. You don't necessarily mm -hmm. feel fear 
you don't feel fear because you're acting on the feelings that allow you to avoid it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So the defense of acting is working against the fear. Wow. You need to say that again. Yeah. I think that you don't, you don't feel in. the fear because you're acting on the behavior that allows you to avoid it. Mm-hmm. Stop doing that behavior and you will feel the feeling. You know, stop eating, stop watching television. Turn, you know, sit in a room where it's quiet and just be with yourself and see what's there. Hmm. A lot of people, that hmm. sounds pretty scary. <laughs> right. And they're like, whoa, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Wow. Eric, this is, this is really, really good. I, I want to touch a little bit on some ethnic um, hmm. disparities or differences. I feel that my community just sitting around the table having the privilege of being privy to you know after dinner conversations with friends with family even with patients talking to them about things that are not acutely biological and starting to delve into well what's going on with you you know um, what's changed in your life you know in the last three to six months because what I have found in the clinical setting a lot of times when women came to me with pelvic pain issues or with their cycle changing its characteristics, it was a stress. There was a stressor. I could usually say, well, when did this start? Oh, about three or six months ago. Well, what changed in your life three or six months ago? And they would look at me like I had just grown a second head. Like, well, what does that have to do with anything? No, you need to tell me as a doctor what's going on. Well, there's a connection, you know. Um, but when we started talking about that, and if I offer to them the uh, the ability to, you know, maybe you need to check into seeing services where you can go and talk to somebody, you know, go seek a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist. There seems to be a big pushback. Do you find that in various different ethnicities or in men so. versus women at well, all? or? I think there. I think men push back more than women. I, clinically, you would. I don't know. Don't remember what the statistics are, but they're significant that women seek counseling more than men. Mm-hmm. However, having said that, my practice is pretty even. Okay. M- men and female, it's pretty even. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure why that is, but it is that way. And what I've found, what I've found, is that. Uh, I, I've developed this concept. It's, 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 I find it interesting anyway. <laughs> Please share. Please <laughs> yeah. share. Uh, I was working with a couple a couple weeks ago, and the man was going to build a patio, and he was going to rent a piece of equipment, and his wife, a piece of heavy equipment, and his wife wanted him to pay someone to move the equipment, and he wanted to move it himself. Okay. okay. And I had I had injured my back, um, and I was sitting with them, with my back bothering me. Probably I was in a brace, mm-hmm. and because uh, I had moved some logs, and I hurt my back moving these logs. Mm-hmm. And the woman says to both of us, "You all are just trying to be macho, okay?" Which is not an unusual thing for women to say to men when they do something foolish that ends up hurting themselves. So I knew my motivation wasn't about being macho. I knew what what my thoughts were about why I moved that because I didn't want someone else to have to move it. 
and I had this idea that came into my mind that men, this is just, just an idea now, men have an expendable gene. And it's a gene that we're wired in some way to believe that we're expendable. Hmm. That we are expendable, that given the right circumstances, we will give up our life, which we do do. We go off to war. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we feel compelled to go to war when it's to protect and defend the people that we love. Yeah. So we're willing to give up our life. Okay. So that's in us. Now, we act a little dumb with it sometimes, like picking up <laughs> logs we have no business picking up. Okay. But it's, it's not that we're in this derogatory macho. It's just, right. It just seems like second nature to us to mm-hmm. do it. Because we, I believe, we have this predisposition, if necessary, just to lay down our life, if mm-hmm. that's what it requires. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there is a predisposition in that direction. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense it at makes, all? It makes, makes yeah. a lot of sense. So, it makes a lot of sense. given that, it's difficult for men to act in their own behalf when it means taking care of themselves. Hmm. It's, just, it's an added layer of resistance just an added layer of resistance that is yeah. that is a very good the other thing is that primarily the work that I do and most counselors do primarily is done verbally and our verbal skills don't compare <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that's because you all practice it a lot more <laughs> oh my goodness here we go uh-huh. okay <laughs> I remember yes, when I was dating yes. my wife, I noticed how, how much she talked <laughs> and how it seemed to me that she could talk about anything. <laughs> we do tend to be I, I said, I'm, I've, been, I've been watching this, and it, it seems to me that you must have a different experience about moving your mouth than I do. <laughs> and she's still, and she's still married, married to me. <laughs> And she's still married to me, believe that or not. Right. I, I, I really wasn't trying to be difficult. I was, I was trying to understand. Oh my goodness! Yes. But, but our brains are different. They are, yeah. You know, yes. your 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 verbal skills are there yeah. more yeah. easily than ours. Mm-hmm. But that is no excuse to my way of thinking okay. for for us as guys, because it's it's a skill. Yeah. And it's like playing. If you ever play tennis mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. any racket sport. Right. Most of the time, your forehand shot is easier. Yes. But your game is limited if you don't learn to hit a backhand shot. Okay? That's a good and analogy. to me, we as men learning to be more verbal about our own emotional experiences is just a skill. It's like learning mm-hmm. to hit a backhand shot. It's, it's, like it's no different than that. I like that. I like that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Eric, I have had a wonderful time sitting here with you. And I want us to be able to explore more. Certainly. And have you come back on the show. That would be great. I do want to close with a couple of questions for you. Certainly. Um, do you have a personal philosophy that you live by that impacts your practice? Make a memory. Hmm. Make a memory. The experience of joy is highly highly significant when you have true experiences of joy your defenses drop you feel more alive so the more simple joys that you have in life I believe the healthier you are mentally 
like that. I'm going to let that settle with the community. Thank you. It's been a joy, and I can't wait to have you back. Thank you again.